Indispensable is a podcast focused on hearing about the business truths, tools, and tips others can't do without. After interviewing hundreds of people for their LinkedIn profiles and talking with thousands of people looking to use professional platforms more strategically, I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know people that lead, create, and engage within their companies and in their communities with great intention, abundance, focus, and sheer grit. I want to share their stories so that you can gain insight from a variety of people, not just the podcast and tech rock stars that have become household names. Rather, let's focus on the people whose stories influence those around them, and maybe even you. Everyone has indispensable truths, tools, and tips, even if they haven't realized it yet. And while this podcast isn't about LinkedIn and how to use it, it may weave its way in from time to time. It is, after all, our favorite platform for networking and doing business. Come, join us, and get to know some of my colleagues, clients, friends, and neighbors. Hello, and welcome to Indispensable, the podcast that talks about the truths, tools, and tips you can't do without. I'm Colleen McKenna, your ever-curious host who loves spirited conversation, stories that stay with you, and learning something new every day. Today, it's my pleasure to have Pam Cusick, the Vice President of Rare Patient Voice, a marketing research firm committed to helping patients and caregivers voice their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Pam, thanks for joining today. Thanks, Colleen. I'm thrilled to be here. To begin, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in this industry, market research, and most specifically with Rare Patient Voice. So um, that's always such a, a funny question. I've asked that a thousand times in interviews, but um, I came to be in this industry really um you know, as a, a student, I did research with one of my advisors and I was hooked. And so I, um, once I got out of, of college, I went on to grad school and started looking for jobs in research and um, found a wonderful social science um, government contractor and worked with them for a number of years. And that evolved into other positions and, and, um, ultimately working with um, Wes, who owns Rare Patient Voice, or who started Rare Patient Voice. And um, we worked together 20 years ago at a pharmaceutical market research company. And that was kind of in the, the beginning times of when direct-to-consumer advertising became, you know, I guess, legal, or, or they were able to advertise on TV and print ads. And so we did a lot of research for pharma companies. Um, that were wanting to connect with consumers. And so fast forward here, um, Wes started Rare Patient Voice and I came on about three years ago to help build new business. And um, that's how I, I got here. And so you're, what you're doing now is really giving patients the opportunity to share their experiences related to either their chronic illness or the the pharmaceutical drugs that they're using. Tell us a little bit more about that. It's really interesting. Right. So, uh, so, you know, again, back to, you know, ages ago, patients weren't included at all in these decisions about, you know, their treatment and, you know, what side effects they would be able to tolerate and so on and so forth. And so now um, 
there's a lot of, of talk about you know, patient centricity and it's, you know, the, the services and the, the um, programs that are created need the patient's voice included. So we have, um, we're not conducting the research. We're really just connecting the patients with that. But some of the studies, they're really very interesting. Um, they might be looking at the patient's journey. So, you know, journey to diagnosis. You know, how long did it take you to become diagnosed? What were some of the things that you may have been diagnosed with first before you got your true diagnosis? And, and that helps decisions in a lot of ways. Um, it helps, you know, for companies to alert physicians to, okay, here are the things you need to look for because these might be, um, you know, precursors or things you might, or you might initially um, diagnose somebody with that you, you know, but really the end thing might be MS, but you're diagnosing them with this, that, and the other thing first. Um, other things, you know, we've had a, we had one, a clothing manufacturer who was doing adaptive clothing and wanted to be able to try out different, um, clothes and, and, you know, say snaps or the way you Velcro to put on a shirt. So it's, it's, you know, really fascinating to be able to allow, you know, patients, their opinions to impact these devices and, and clothes, um, a device by devices, you know, we'll have usability studies where they'll, you know, they'll not use a real device, but say it's a, a new insulin pump that a company is testing out. They'll want the patients to get their hands on it and, you know, feel how they would use the buttons. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to me because it, it now makes such a big difference where, like I said before, patients weren't really included in those decisions and it'll be a doctor saying, Oh sure. My patients would want this, but that's not always the case. And it's really important for the patient to be involved. And are patients surprised when you approach them or when they hear about your firm and say, you know, we're interested in your opinion? Are they surprised? A lot of times, yes. Um, you know, it, they, some patients just have felt sort of marginalized, like, you know, they don't, they don't maybe matter as much. They get their five minutes in their doctor's office and, and don't really feel I, I guess, involved in the process. And so the way we recruit is, um, you know, mainly we go out to events all over the country. So we all um, have a booth at a national hemophilia conference or at a sickle cell conference. And we'll, you know, talk to patients, explain what we do, explain what kind of research they might be involved in. And, and you know, a lot of times we'll hear, well, I have lots of opinions, you know, it, because we want them to share their opinion about their experience, about their condition. And, um, and they're generally very excited that there's an opportunity for them to be involved. And a lot of people, you know, it's the same with clinical research. Only, you know, 1% of, of people are, are involved in clinical research. And similarly with, with market research, it not, you know, patients don't know what's out there. And so when we're getting, you know, in front of them as a trusted resource and, and being able to explain to them, you know, well, this is, you know, you might be asked to uh, review an ad concept or a risk profile, or again, just talk about your patient journey. They're pretty enthusiastic and, you know, excited about participating. Well, it seems as though they can recognize that by giving their opinion and having a voice, they can help other people who are also on the journey. 
Exactly. It's, um, it's interesting, you know, it, the, you would think that, for example, you know, patients with um, uh, stage four lung cancer might not really want to participate in a study, but we have recruited them and asked them, you know, or, you know, talk to them afterwards about, you know, their reasons for participating. They want to help the people who come after them. They feel like their experiences can inform others journey. And so if they can do, you know, in the, the time that they have, if they can share their experience and their, their, you know, uh, knowledge um, with others who are coming after them, it's, you know, it's valuable to them. And from the client side, so the, the pharmaceutical or the apparel company that's in, engaging with you, are they open? Do you see that they're trying to make a lot of change so that they can actually be more patient responsive? I think they are. I think, um, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, really almost are, are, are being forced, not that they wouldn't do it anyway, but, um, you know, to, to hear the patient and be involved with the patients. We have, you know, uh, we connect with a lot of patient advocates and they are fiercely, you know, uh, committed to being involved in the process. And, and we, you know, that we'll go to some of the FDA meetings or, um, you know, where they're talking about patient involvement in clinical trials and, and in all kinds of things. And they're not to be messed with and they're, they're going to be heard and they're going to be involved. And, you know, and so from the, the pharma side, they're, you know, they have programs, you know, in to involve patients and, and they're trying to, you know, be sure to include the patient's perspective. Um, you know, the adaptive clothing, I don't think there was such a thing really, you know, until fairly recently. Uh, we go to a, one event um, fairly, or I guess all over the country, it's called the Abilities Expo. And they have all kinds of, of neat tools and things that people have developed to help the disability community. So, um, you know, shoes that Velcro on and belts with Velcro. And, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, kind of caring about the user is really becoming much more important. And so I think that, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's great for the patients because things are being designed around them you know, in a way that is much more useful to them. Clinical trials, another, you know, another, um, I guess, area where, you know, in the past it would be, okay, well, here's a, a clinical trial in Boston. And if you're not around there, oh, well, you can't go. And now there are concierge services that help bring patients to clinical trials and um, all kinds of organizations that have built around making the patient's experience a little bit better and, and making it easier for them. So it's really been a, a great thing for patients. Yeah, I find it so interesting. And you and I have had a conversation about this offline. Um, my husband has Parkinson's. I listen to all these podcasts and there was just recently a podcast about these, the wearables, the clothing, the, the tools. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And just the work that goes behind the scenes and how mm -hmm. much research, you know, just even R and D and building those products mm -hmm. 
And certainly that kind of segues us into technology. Technology has really changed mm -hmm. how people can do research, right? Mm -hmm. research. Absolutely. How patients can have a voice through a Facebook group or a support group or you know, there's a lot of research you probably can garner just from being on Facebook or being in certain online support group forums. Talk about that a little bit, because I think you're, you're pretty tech savvy. So I know that you <laughs> attention to this. Right. So, you know, there are a lot of, um, a lot of companies do sort of social listening, you know, as, as you know, to, you know, they'll throw a question out there and kind of see what patients are saying. And, um, we don't, we don't do that. I know about it. We, um, we're strictly, you know, we recruit the patients in order to participate in other people's studies, but where we do really, um, engage with social media is through our outreach team. We have a terrific outreach team and, and, um, they have connected with hundreds of groups across the country, you know, even across the world, really, um, in different disease areas. And that, you know, in addition to going out to events, this has enabled us to um, connect with, you know, say a, a smaller group where the people might not be able to attend the National Hemophilia Conference, but they can go online and have a, a, you know, a conversation with other people who are in their situation. And, you know, we connect with those groups and talk to the administrator, explain what we do. And oftentimes um, we, they'll actually fundraise through us. And by that, I mean, if they choose to refer people, for example, let's say they post something on their, on their group and say, you know, here's this group. If you're interested in doing research, feel free to sign up. Everyone who signs up for everyone who signs up, will send a donation to the group. So you know, we have groups, we have one group, I love the name of this group. It's called We're Not Drunk, We Have MS. And they, um, they will post on their Facebook page every once in a while about us and we'll send them a check for $600 or $800, whatever it is, um, you know, for those donations so, or for those, those um, people who sign up. So it's a kind of a neat extra fundraiser. But um, yeah, social media is a, a really powerful, powerful tool for patients because they're able to, you know, advocate for themselves um, in a way and, and kind of put their voices together, especially for some of the very rare communities. There may be, you know, eight people who have your condition, but, you know, and you don't know all those eight people, you know, or they're not all near you, but if you can connect with them through a, a, a Facebook group or something like that, you have a collective voice and it gives you more power. Yeah. And think about that eight people or a hundred people across the globe suddenly coming together though, for encouragement and reassurance mm -hmm. and what's your journey look like that can really change a person's perspective. Right? Absolutely. You can learn about things. For example, you know, you're saying that the podcast that you were listening to about the, the wearables and, and things like that. So, Oftentimes, you know, it's, there's so much out there and we don't know about all of it. Um, you know, even the, the, the tools that are available, um, you know, the, we maybe just didn't see the ad on TV or, or our doctor didn't tell us about it, but through a, a collective, you know, 
group that's advocating and they all share things like that. And so you'll learn about things that you just might not have ever heard about if you hadn't been in that group. And it's really, a, a like I said, a very powerful tool for patients. And for us, it's terrific because we're able to connect with, you know, small groups of people where, you know, we might not, they might not have a national conference. They might not have a walk, you know, so it, it would be very hard for us to connect with them otherwise. And through our outreach team, you know, we've, we've built a very good reputation, you know, about for what we do. Um, you know, we treat the patients well, we make sure that they get paid a hundred dollars an hour for participating in research. Um, we feel like, you know, they're, their experience is valuable and there's, you know, they should be compensated for that. And a lot of people, they're not, they're not doing it for the money. Some people are, you know, they, they may need the money for their co-pays and their, you know, devices and things like that, you know, and other people just want to share their, their experience to make it better for others and for other, you know, some people, it's just a combination of the both, you know, so it's, it's, um, a great way for us to reach the masses that we would not maybe ordinarily be able to reach. And so many patients, you know, we're, you and I sit, you know, in Baltimore metropolitan area, we have a lot of hospitals around us. We have great access. There are a lot of patients across the country and the world who don't have close proximity to a hospital or, you know, a campus where there's a lot going on you know, in terms of medicine and they have to drive a day to get to that closest center of excellence for Parkinson's or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so this really is another way for people once again, to get information that can help them when they go to that doctor's appointment and only have five minutes to be more informed. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, technology has been, um, has made research so much easier and and it enables us to connect with people who are remote, who are, you know, I mean, we've never, I would have loved to have gone and recruited in Hawaii, but we've never been to Hawaii to recruit, but we have people in Hawaii or Puerto Rico or, you know, all of these places where, um, you know, if, if we were just doing in-person focus groups all the time, they would be the people in the Baltimore metropolitan area or in New York city, but we can now reach somebody who's in Buffalo and they're talking to somebody who's in, you know, Alaska and also somebody who's in, you know, Louisiana and, and we're able to get these diverse opinions, um, you know, and, and it, it, their experiences may be very similar, but they might be very different you know, where they are and what treatment centers they're near and, um, you know, access to, um, say, a a physical support group and things like that. So technology being, um, you know, online focus groups and and phone interviews and web-assisted interviews has been able to bring, you know, the patients so much more into the research and into the the decision-making, which has been fantastic. When you think about all the interviews you've done over the course of your career, right? Quite a few, I'm guessing. Absolutely. (laughs) Do you find, especially when you're talking to patients, um, is there a key question that you start with that helps them relax, opens them up? Because 
some people are certainly willing to share, but there's definitely a good percentage of people who probably are like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this, right? I don't, I don't want to share my personal story. Um, right. But you just get them to open up and relax a little bit. Well, you know, it's so important to build trust when you're when you're doing an interview or you're you're you know conducting a focus group. It's a it a lot of times what I try to do if it's in person, obviously it, it makes a difference. But you know, you I try to get a read on the person. You know, are they are they wearing a sports t-shirt? Um, are they, you know, I might ask them about that, you know, oh, are you a, a Ravens fan? Are you a, you know, whatever, a New England fan? And they'll start talking about that and then they're in their comfort zone. Um, you know, if it's a, a woman, I might notice her shoes or her jewelry and say, oh, that's beautiful. You know, where did you get that? I, you know, something, you know, just little sort of where something that doesn't make them feel that they're being judged in any way. Um, over the phone, obviously, it's a little bit different now that we have, you know, web assisted, and we can see each other, it's, it's a little bit easier. But um, sometimes something as easy as asking, you know, oh, you know, I'm in Maryland. It's, you know, rainy here today. Where are you? Um, just something where you're, it's quite innocuous, and you're not, you know, where they don't feel judged at all, I guess, is the best thing. And, you know, lacking that, you know, hey, what is your favorite color? You know, just something where it's it's a pretty easy thing to answer. Um, but it's I don't have one particular question. I really just it's it's almost like every time it's I have to read the situation and read the person who I'm talking to in order to figure out okay, what's that thing I'm going to ask? And when you think about all the you know different types of research you've done over the years, do you feel what you're doing now is more meaningful than let's say if it was just, you know, consumer oriented for a product, because I think that it seems to me just based on our conversation that there's so much um, gratification in the kind of work you're doing now. Absolutely. I mean, I would say I'm, I'm fortunate to have been really more in kind of healthcare research my entire career. So I started off my very first professional study was on, um, it was for the FDA and it was working with blood donors and trying to find the best way to screen blood donors out of the, the who were at risk for HIV out of the blood supply. That was way back in the eighties. The but, um, you know, I think consumer research, I, I haven't really done, I mean, I've worked with consumers and general, you know, people who might see a public health ad, for example. Um, but, you know, the, the patient research, it is really, it, it does feel gratifying and it does feel very um, valuable. And that's not to say that somebody that's doing, you know, serial research doesn't get, you know, a, a charge out of that or, or, you know, enjoy that. And, you know, there are everything, you know, different things make people tick, but, I think over the course of my career, what I've really liked is hearing what people's experiences are and, and understanding their their healthcare journey, and then you know figuring out what's the best way to communicate with them. Um, a lot of what I've worked on are, are projects that say were for the government that um, where they wanted to do a, a public service announcement for patients, you know, who should have gotten a flu shot. 
Um, and how do we get people who are at the highest risk to pay attention to this PSA? And it does, you know, then, you know, you see something that you worked on, it may be years from now. Um, in fact, here's a good one. So there's a, a company now that has um, Cologuard, the, a, a colorectal cancer product. And 20 years ago, when Wes and I were working at this other you know, market research company, we were doing the beginning research for that product and how you know how would they communicate with people and and you know what would you know what would make people want to use this home test and 20 years later i see it on tv it's really pretty interesting and 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 fun when you do see things that you worked on and that's i mean that's so interesting because that's a long time right but time to get through i'm guessing you know fda you know regulatory approval and all Absolutely. of that yeah and what about the companies that are kind of disrupting the you know the medical space healthcare space you know like different kinds of companies that are kind of coming out with new products you know and part of it it may, might be the wearables right mm -hmm. that's kind mm -hmm. of disruptive Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the, the, the interesting, I guess, another, you know, part of that, that I'm seeing um, come out is companies that want to connect your healthcare data with, um, or, or enable patients to get paid for their healthcare data. So there's a lot of de-identified data out in the world and, and companies use that for, to make a variety of decisions, but it's not connected specifically to a patient. So what if you were able to connect that information, so a patient's electronic health record with um, my survey results? So, you know, where not only you would say, you know, if I said, oh yeah, I jog um, 10 miles a day and, you know, do this and do that and the other thing, but you can see from my Fitbit, which is connected to this, and you can see from my electronic health record that neither of these things are true. Wouldn't that be an interesting finding? And so uh, there are a lot of companies out there now that are, I would say, disrupting, um, you know, where they are, are kind of taking on this de-identified data um, where Patients are not getting paid for the use of their data and, you know, trying to find a way to enable them to be in control of their own information and their own data. And I think that in the next five or 10 years is going to be an interesting thing because, you know, there's a whole industry built around buying and selling of the de-identified data and making decisions based on that. And this will change that and kind of turn it on it uh, turn it on its head. That's fascinating. And there's a lot of implications to that. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there there you know, we were I was just um meeting with somebody from um, the FDA a few days ago and he was talking about um the cyber attacks on devices and that's a very real thing that, you know, could happen. And so then I'm thinking to myself, well, what about, you know, if I'm connecting 
all of my health data with my name to something else, you know, then what is the implication? I mean, it, it, it really does get you thinking. And, um, and those companies who are, who are working in that area now, hopefully that's what they are focusing on and what they are thinking about. I, I read so much about this and, you know, and I feel like I understand, you know, 10%. <laughs> right. And I'm one of those people that over the years, I'm a little bit of an app junkie, right? So I will, mm. you know, I'll test some apps and I'll give them information. And only recently have I, probably in the last year, I've been, mm, I think, no, not yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, maybe they have too much information. And, and I think we've seen how that's, you know, played out in lots of different channels and different companies mm -hmm. and people will either have to be comfortable understanding what they're giving up in exchange for what they're getting, because there, mm -hmm. are, there are upsides to that too, if it can further different kinds of research and, so, but it's a big question and I'm not mm -hmm. sure everybody thinks about it maybe with some discernment or critically yet, right? Because we're like, oh, okay. They're, these people are going to use it in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And I think, but there might be other people trying to attack that information. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it is really the responsibility of those companies who are putting together these apps um, that can, you know, how's your data in the cloud that, you know, they need to, to, it's, it's incumbent, incumbent upon them to be the ones who make sure that, you know, they're able to protect that data and ensure that the patient isn't going to get, you know, um, taken advantage of in some way. I mean, there are some very, you know, real concerns that people have about sharing. Um, interestingly, some of, and there are many of these companies out there, but they, a lot of, they're focusing on it in different ways. So some of them will, you know, want to enable you to donate your data. So for, like you were saying, you know, if it can make a difference and, and change something in my disease category, use my data. Um, other people, you know, they can have that choice. They can have a choice to sell it, or they can have a choice to block it altogether. Um, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the, the how this will work if my data is already out there, really, you know, with my healthcare, you know, insurer or whatever, and, and it's already being sold. How can I then stop them? I, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that, but it is, um, I just think that the, there's a massive responsibility on those, you know, those groups and, and hopefully, you know, and I think they are many of them thinking in that way um, of, you know, how they protect the patient and how they make sure that that data is, um, is safe. But it's, you know, it's not something that, that every patient is going to think about. Yeah, that's so true. You know, and sometimes only until it's too late, right? You know, and exactly. that's unfortunate. And mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be a better job of companies who are taking in data, explaining mm -hmm. it, right? Very few people actually read all of the terms and conditions on anything that they're... Oh, definitely. I mean, every time you go, you're, you're signing that form. And I mean, I, I think I've read it once. 
but I still sign the form and, you know, and I've signed it for my kids and, you know, it's, I feel part of me feels if it's de-identified for my own data, I, and, and you can do something constructive with it and it's useful, you know, in terms of making, you know, better health decisions for somebody else down the road, I'm okay with it. But once you connect your name to it, I think that's a whole different different ball game because there there could be insurance implications. I mean, it's a big it's a big picture. Yeah, really really interesting. And it kind of takes us into, you know, my next question which because I I did mention you are pretty tech savvy and mm-hmm. and I know you use some tools. What are some of the tools that you use on a day-to-day basis that help you do your job better? Well, you know, I think the the one thing you know I'm I'm constantly on email, which you know I I know that that's not always you know the the favored method, but that's how we connect with a lot of our patients, um, not patients with our clients. But um, I have started because of you to um, really use LinkedIn a lot. So where you know I'm reading an article online or in you know a, an actual magazine. And I'll see somebody, you know, you know, who I'll think, oh, well, you know, we could, we could perhaps partner with them. I'll look them up on LinkedIn. I'll send them a little note. Oh, I read your article and, and, you know, boom, now I have a new potential client um, or another, you know, patient organization that we could perhaps work with. So LinkedIn has really been very useful to me. Um, Facebook, we use really to connect with our patients. Mm-hmm. So we post a lot of patient information on there and, and I will get a lot of, um, you know, I don't post original content, (laughs) but I'll get things from other people and I'll send those over to our outreach team and they'll post those, you know, those things because there's sometimes it might be, um, you know, uh, Hey, it's, you know, national sickle cell month or whatever it is. And, and we can do a little shout out to that for our patients. Um, we have just this year started a new, um, we have a new database where we, you know, house all of our information, but we have this new tool that we developed. Well, we are working with a wonderful company called Q1 Tech, and they developed a tool that um, our clients can use to do automated proposals. And it has been such a lifesaver. Um, you know, we were beta testing it for a while and thinking, oh, we'll launch this soon. And the day after we got back after the 4th of July vacation, we had 60 proposal requests that day. Holy cow. And it was, I mean, we got 40 yesterday, which is amazing, but that was just outlandish. And so we decided, okay, we've got to launch this thing right now. And it is so easy you know, clients just put in the the specifications that they need for their project and boom, they get an email with feasibility. Yes, we think we can, you know, recruit this many patients for you and here's the cost. It's amazing. That's a game changer, right? It is a game changer. Um, that's, I, I, my colleague, Tiffany, who works with me said it was life changing <laughs> for her, life changing. Um, it, it's amazing. And, you know, we're looking to um, this next year to introduce automated um, project management. So clients will be able to go in and, you know, 
create their own project and launch it. Now we'll still have project managers, there'll still be oversight and that will be very important, but we're a very small company. We just hired our seventh project manager. Um, we have some you know, part-time people and we do have a, a huge part-time contingent around the country. That's our patient advocacy team and they go out to events for us all over the country. But in terms of people working day to day, it's a very small group of us and um, automation will enable us to keep costs down, but you know, double, triple our, you know, our, um, our reach, which will be fantastic. That's great. And I love the fact that you and Wes and your team are so open to like, okay, let's just launch it. Right. May not be perfect. Right. We're launching it. And so very often we are, and I'm definitely guilty of this. Oh my gosh, it must be perfect. And that's stops you from Moving right. Forward. It stops you from, I, I was listening to one of your prior podcasts and, and um, Mary, she had mentioned a book called the five second rule. Mm-hmm. And I think that I haven't read that book, but I will. Um, but that, you know, I think that if you think too much about something and you're too overcritical, you'll never, you'll, you just, it'll, it stops you in your tracks. It's so hard to get beyond yourself and your own insecurities and things that, that you might not post that really interesting thing or share that thing because what are people going to think? Um, you know, I know you've seen a lot of Wes's posts. Mm-hmm. I I just love that he will go out there. You know, he's got a pretty good singing voice. He'll go out there and he, he made up songs. He plays the piano. He'll make up a song and sing it right out there and post it on LinkedIn. You know, it's all about our business but it's very creative and different. And so we go to all these conferences and we'll see, you know, new clients who've never talked to us before or our current clients. And they're like, I saw your song, Wes. <laughs> and it's, it's great. Um, you know, and he's like a, in the market research in, industry, he's like a, a media star now, <laughs> which is great. I love it. I think he has so much personality, but he's so genuine. Absolutely. And so are you. And that's that whole ability, I think, to connect really quickly with people mm-hmm. and just be comfortable in your own skin. And I, you know, sometimes people will comment like, what do I say? What do I say on LinkedIn? I'm like, well, what would you say if you saw them at Starbucks? Right. What would you say if you were next to them at a party? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would say that. Yeah, try that. Let's start there. Right. Yeah. Because we don't want to sounds so different. And I think that's what's so great about Wes and the work that you're doing is you're making people feel comfortable right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a gift to that person, right? They do trust you sooner. Right. I agree. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's just important to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like it's, um, that's, I'm who I am. I mean, you've met me in a variety of, you know, social or professional situations, I'm the same wherever I am. And so if I'm with a client or with a patient or with my family, it's, I want to be who I am. And I think that, I guess for me, it's just easier. It's a whole <laughs> lot easier. have extra personas and, you know, and be a different person in every situation. But I think it also helps, it helps you to believe in yourself and what you're whatever your mission is, whatever you're trying to 
for lack of a better word, sell. You know, it's if you are, you know, if you believe it, other people will believe it too. And I think that that's a great bridge to, you know, my last question, which, you know, how have the truths that you live by, which is being authentic, being your true self, influenced your journey? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think that it's just, you know, I feel like I've, I, I would say if I've been very lucky, I've had great personal and professional experiences, but I think I've been able to enjoy them because I just am who I am. I, you know, I want to help people. I want to um, try to make their lives better. And, and, you know, in business, I want to do the same thing. So if I can connect, you know, if a patient calls me and I can find a way to help them, I want to help them. If a client, you know, we don't know if, you know, we don't see that you have these people on your panel. I'll try to, we'll try to find a solution for that. I mean, it's, it's, I, I want to be that, you know, kind of authentically caring person that I am, say, with my family. Um, I want to do that same thing in business. And I think, you know, we have, um, as, you know, we're constantly building with, you know, new team members. I'm trying to, you know, share what I know about this industry. They may be coming in from someplace that, you know, they have had no market research experience. They don't know the lingo and all of that stuff. And I just want to, I want them to know what I know and, and bring them into that, you know, so they feel comfortable and then they can talk to clients and, and be authentic. Um, I think it's just the, you know, that's who I am. How can people find you? And how can, if somebody either um, is a, let's say is um, been diagnosed with a particular disease and they're interested in engaging with your company, how should, what would be a first step? So how can they find you? And then what would be a first step to engage as a patient? Okay. Well, to find me, you can find me on LinkedIn um, or you can email me at Pam Cusick at rarepatientvoice.com. Um, patients, you know, they can email me too, of course, but if, you know, they can go right onto our website and there is a tab for patients where they can sign up. It's actually on a couple different spots. They click on that and it'll go to a page where um, they can put in whatever information, you know, about their condition and um, we will take it from there and, you know, send them a, a gift card to thank them for signing up. But then when we have a study that is, um, you know, appropriate for, you know, whatever they've signed up for, we'll send them an email and invite them to participate. That's great. That's awesome. And as listeners, if you know somebody who um, might have some opinions to share, their journey to share, and they could connect with Rare Patient Voice, send them, send them to their site. I think that would be a great connection here. And so I want to thank everybody for listening today. Please check out all of our indispensable episodes by heading over to our website at enteroadvisory.com or finding us on your favorite podcast platform, including Buzzsprout, Apple, and Spotify. If you have a story to share, let me know. Please connect with me on LinkedIn, share your feedback, give us a shout or a shout out. Thanks. Until our next episode of Indispensable, have a memorable and meaningful week. Thanks, Colleen. And that's all for Indispensable. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope to catch you on our next episode. Grab our show notes, review them, check out the links included, and head over to enteroadvisory.com to learn more about the work that we do in our community and with our clients. 